Our gospel lesson and New Testament lesson, you will notice this morning, are a little on the shorter side than usual, and that is because our sermon text is a little on the longer side. Um, If you will, turn to Luke 18. Our gospel lesson can be found on page 1630. Luke 18, verses 15 through 17. And again, before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for your word. And we ask that this morning, as we hear your word read and proclaimed, God, that you would give us ears to hear and minds to understand. God, that you would give us hearts that have been made ready to receive your word. God, that we would be those um, who more and more are ready and willing to live by faith and not by sight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 18, verse 15 through 17. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses, eight, verses 13 through 18. We found on page 1796 in your pew Bibles, 2 Corinthians four thirteen through 18. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, It is written, I believe, therefore, I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, We also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, This last line, what is, uh, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It's easy to take that. Um, the wrong way and just think that anything invisible is more important than anything visible. That's not exactly what he's talking about here. We know that there are things like sorrow. How do you see sorrow? Well, you don't. (laughs) That's one of those invisible things. Um, And yet, when we get to Revelation, we say that's one of the things that will pass away. And so when he's talking about things that are seen, uh, that are temporary, things that are unseen, that are eternal, he's not talking in hard and fast categories that way. Here's what he's actually getting at which he says seven verses later more explicitly. More explicitly, says, For we live by faith, not by sight. And that's what he's talking about. That it's kind of like the uh, Transformers motto of old. I remember from my childhood, those Transformers, more than meets the eye. And this is what we have to keep in mind as we live in this world, is there is a perspective on this world that says, what you see is what there is, and that's it. 
But the per- Christian perspective is actually, no, there is more than meets the eye. And in fact, in, unless we have that in mind, we'll never know what it means to live by faith and not by sight. We will only be living by sight. Um, and with that, I'll take us to our story for this morning where we have an example of what this looks like to live by faith and not by sight. And not only do we have a story of what it looks like to live by faith and not by sight, we also have, in the same story, what it looks like to live by sight and not by faith. This is uh, the third, I think it's the third, in a sermon in the series, we are doing this Lent, uh, this 40-day period leading up to Easter, and we are looking at these times of testing, these 40-day periods, 40-year periods throughout the Bible. Um, There are more than we can get to in this series, but we're going to look at some of them each week. So we are looking today at Numbers uh, chapter 13. I say it's a little longer. Numbers 13, starting verse 17, and then going through chapter 14, verse 9. And, uh, and this has to do with the people of Israel who have come out of slavery in Egypt. They've gone up to Mount Sinai. We looked last week at how they failed the test at the mountain when Moses goes up the mountain and uh, after they've already received the Ten Commandments from the booming voice of God, and they said, yes, we will do those things, and Moses goes up the mountain, he's gone for 40 days, and in those 40 days, they make a golden calf, right? You remember this? And so they failed the test. And so uh, we are after that point now. Now they have left Mount Sinai. They've gone right to the edge of the promised land. And if you remember last week when we were reading about the event on the mountain, it was Moses talking to the people from the edge of the promised land and saying, remember what happened back then and how you failed the test? So when you go into this land, don't think it's because of your own righteousness. It's not. Remember what kind of a people you are. You're quick to turn away from the one true God. You failed the test. That is what you will do (laughs) uh, left to yourselves. So that was the reminder he gave on the edge of the promised land. But we're kind of jumping in time here because last week they were on the edge of the promised land as they were about to go in 40 years after they'd been at the mountain. So the question is, why did it take them 40 years to get there? And it wasn't for lack of GPS. It wasn't that far of a distance, but it was because of a lack of faith. That's what it came down to. So where we are now is 40 years earlier, as they first get to the edge of the promised land. They got to the edge right away. But something happened, and that's what we're going to read about today. Here's what happened. This is uh, Numbers chapter 13, starting in verse 17. Um, I actually need to read you verse 1, just have an idea. It says, the Lord, and two, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. And so from each tribe, it's listed as to who is going from that tribe. So they send 12 people. So already, if you remember the song we were just singing, it should be ringing in your ears. 12 went down to spy on Canaan, right? (laughs) That's what this first part is. 12 went down to spy on Canaan. We're going to find out what happens. Verse 17, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled? Or fortified? 
How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zen as far as Rehob toward Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built several years before Zon in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them. That's a big cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. Okay, I'm going to pause there for a second. What did they see when they got to Canaan? (laughs) Moses told them, go in and explore the land. What is this land? This is the land that God has promised even to your ancestors that this is the land he's going to give to you. And so now it's time to go in and see what kind of land this is. And there are already people there. And so the question is, what kind of people are they? Are they big and strong or not? Are there a lot of people or not? Are the towns fortified or not? And then what is the produce like? What is the soil like? What are the conditions of this place? What would it be like to take this land, and what would it be like to live in this land? And so for 40 days, there's that number again, for 40 days, they go through the land, and they check it out. And what do they see? Some saw giants, big and tall. Some saw grapes in clusters fall. (laughs) This is... uh, this is what they saw, that there are uh, people there, and they are giant. We're going to talk about that in a second. But there are also that the fruit of the land is amazing, like they've never seen. So they end up <clears throat> at 40 days. They've seen what's there, and they see what it's going to take to take it. They see what it's going to be like to live there, and now we're going to see what wins out. Verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. All right. We have two, two reports so far. Let's see how this goes. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. And that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better 
for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. We have two very different ways of viewing the situation, don't we? God has made his promises and said, I will give you this land. And then the people go and they look at the land and they come back. And 10 of them say, here's what we saw and we think we should live by sight. And the other two come back and say, but here's what God has promised and we think we should live by faith. That's it. Those are the two options. Are we going to live by faith or are we going to live by sight? Which way is it going to be? And, uh, and again, it gets real easy for us to look back on those uh, 10 with a bit of arrogance. It's easy to look back on them and say, oh, come on, you guys. <laughs> How could you do such a thing? How could you, if God has promised he's going to give you the land, you, you shouldn't be worried about the people who are there. Not a problem. God can do anything. Just go on in. <laughs> and we start to believe to ourselves, if I'd been there, I'd have been like Joshua and Caleb. I would have been like those other ten. But let me paint the picture for you a little more clearly. <laughs> uh, the... <clears throat> When it talks about seeming like grasshopper in our own eye, and our, grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them, I'm not kidding. Uh, when it talks about the Nephilim, there's a lot of weird speculation that goes on as far as what the Nephilim were. But let me just, uh, I'll tell you the way that I take the Nephilim. They only appear here and in Genesis 6. And uh, I'm described as the, the heroes of old, the men of renown. And that they existed before Noah. They also existed after Noah. I don't think these are people who then died out in the flood. So how do they exist both before and after? It's because I don't think it's a race of people, but just a type of a person. And it's a type of people that I think we still have today. And, but today, we tend to call them, you know, like NBA stars or NFL stars. These are like the, these massively huge people that have not only a massive size, but also an amazing skill. And so, but back then, they didn't play basketball. They went to battle. And so if you have these uh, kinds of people who just have, I mean, if I were hanging around a professional basketball team, I'm the short guy. Do you understand that? <laughs> I'm 6'5". I would be the short guy. And so imagine uh, that you have to go up and, okay, just take this. I want you to think of your closest four friends or family members. So pick four people that you are especially close to, and they are going to go with you in battle. But this is the battle. You're going to go play a basketball game 
against the NBA All-Stars. All right? One catch. If you lose, you die. <laughs> Anybody want to volunteer for that one? No. That is the situation that these people were in. They go up and they see these giants, and then the, what they are being called to is, okay, I want you to go in and fight them to the death. And they're like, no. <laughs> no, we don't want to do that. That is crazy. We will, we will surely die. I mean, absolutely, 100%, we are going to get killed. <laughs> okay, that's the situation. It is an impossible situation that they are up against. And that is why, then and now, the majority of people will choose to live by sight. Then and now, the majority of people will choose to live by sight and not by faith. Because what we see is not something that is, well, you know, maybe if I try a little harder, maybe if I... No. It is if God doesn't come through on his end of the deal, if God does not fulfill his promise as he's promised... We have no hope. You want to step out on that? Most people say no. But what we are called to again and again is to say yes. Yes, we will step out on that because there's actually nothing more sure and secure in the world than the God who promises and always fulfills. Nothing. And so it, it's easy to fall into the, uh, the same trap that they fell into of uh, you, you see what your eyes show you and you forget that there's more to the story. It's easy to fall into that. And you think that, uh, that going up and fighting in your own strength is all that there is. But that's not all there is. And see, here's the other part. If you remember who these people are and when they are, and how they've gotten to where they are, they should be able to remember there's more than meets the eye. These are the people who were actually slaves in Egypt. That's why they want to go back there. Um, Although, my goodness. (laughs) When they were in slavery, they were crying out for God to save them, and he did. And now they've gotten out of slavery, and they're like, you know what? We'll just just go back there. At least we know what that's like. (laughs) It was horrible, sure, but hey, um, we were still alive. And so uh, now they're wanting to choose a leader to go back to Egypt. We do that too often. In fact, that's the whole book of Hebrews is telling people even later on, don't turn back. (laughs) Don't turn back. We always want to turn back. But these people had been in Egypt. They'd called out to God. And in, in Egypt as slaves, if you were looking by sight only, do they have any hope of getting out of slavery in Egypt? No, no hope. The Pharaoh is too strong. His armies are too strong. The gods of Egypt are too strong. There's no way they're getting out. But then plague by plague, God demonstrates his power over the Pharaoh and over the Egyptian armies and over all the gods of Egypt, and he does bring the people out. He made a way where there was no way. But do they remember this? Well, let's find out. They go then from there to the edge of the Red Sea, and there's a sea in front of them. There's an army behind them, and there is no way. So what do they do? They freak out. But then what does God do? He 
opens the sea. And they pass through on dry land with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. God makes a way where there is no way. They could not have gotten out of Egypt on their own. They could not have gotten across the Red Sea on their own. All of this is because God had promised and then he fulfilled. So now they send the people into the land and say, explore the land, 40 days, come back, give us the report. And the whole test of this 40 days is, are you going to live by faith or are you going to live by sight? And the way that you live by faith is to remember who God is and what he's already done. And then remember that the God who who can fulfill, does fulfill every promise that he makes. And so then you walk ahead and you just take the next step of what he's calling you to do because he has promised that he is faithful and he is with you and that this is the way to go. So, um, so again, looking at it just from the kind of earthly human perspective, there's no hope. There's no reason you go in. But if they remember who God is and what he's already done, they can take this next step. They can go into the land. And that is the argument that Joshua and Caleb make. Um, you know the song, Just a Closer Walk With Thee? It's almost like the people at the edge there we're singing that song, but they just had it wrong. It was like, just a closer walk with me. You know, you take God out of the picture, and then it goes, I am weak, but they are strong. <laughs> right? Let's go back to Egypt before long. At least back there we had ping pong. Okay, it's not right. It had to rhyme, right? Um, but they're trying to find something better there than where they are now. But that's not the way. <laughs> that the song goes for a reason. It's all about, the whole song is about walking by faith and not by sight. And so it's, I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk, daily walk close to thee. We are not being called to go invade Canaan. <laughs> and aren't you glad? But Jesus has asked us to do things that look equally as impossible. And the question that we have today and the question we have every day is, are we going to walk by faith or by sight? Are we going to trust that the kingdom of God is actually stronger and more powerful and more real than the kingdoms of this world? Are we going to trust that the way of Jesus is better and truer and more right than the ways of this world? I go back to this a lot. That's what it is. Um, when Jesus taught the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer, he comes back to one of the elements again of the whole prayer. He comes back to one of those things to hit it again to make sure his disciples have heard it. Verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 6, he says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Forgiveness is a big deal with Jesus. And it's one of those things that we look at 
like we're facing the Anakites, like we're facing the Nephilim, like we're facing the giants. We say, there's no way. No way. Because often we're looking at it by sight and not by faith. Or we try to make it milder than it is, and we say, well, sure. I mean, if I'm, I'm in a grocery store and somebody you know, kind of bumps into me with their cart, I'm, I'm quick to forgive. That's who I am. That's what I do. And we think that's the whole story. On the other hand, if we have somebody close to us who stabs us in the back, we go, well, no. You don't know. But I think Jesus was talking about both, but probably more so the latter. And he knew what it was like to be stabbed in the back by those close to him. And not only Judas, but all of his disciples who deserted him when he needed them most. But then again, we have in Luke chapter 6, again, I'll come back to this a lot. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. It goes on from here, but this will do. It says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. I'm telling you, these kinds of things that he's saying to do are as crazy as trying to take Canaan on your own. They don't make any sense. Why in the world would you... Uh, do good to those who hate you? Why in the world would you bless those who are cursing you? Well, you wouldn't. But why in the kingdom of God would you do good to those who hate you? Because that's what God did for us. Why in the world would you bless those who curse you? It's because that's what God did for us. In Jesus, this is what God has done for all of us, is exactly these things. And he says, and in this kingdom, where he is the king, this is how his people are to live. And the question we have is, do we want to live in that kingdom, or do we want to go back to Egypt and live in slavery? This story from Numbers It's from a long time ago, but it is today. I mean, this is what we are living every day as we look at the things that God has called us to in taking the next step. This is not God taking these people and saying, I'm going to tell you to do something impossible because I think that's funny. (laughs) That's not it at all. He's saying, I'm wanting to see if you are ready to take the next step of trusting me, that my ways are better, that I am good, that I do love you, that I do care about you, and that I do want what is best for you. But you're going to have to trust me. Are you ready to trust me? And so we go, the next step. What is the next step? And so for you, the same thing. For me, the same thing. Today, what is the next step that he's calling us to take? And how do we trust him in taking that step? This is what it means to live by faith. To follow him and to take the next step of trusting him and trusting that he will come through uh, as we take that step. That he is faithful to keep all of his promises. So is there someone who you need to forgive? Is there someone 
you need to bless. There's someone you need to do good to. Is there someone you need to lay down your life for? Is there um, someone who's mistreating you that you need to pray for, not against? Pray for. What is that next step for you? I don't know. But my guess is every one of us probably has something in those categories where God is calling us to take that step. And probably every one of us has the instinct of the majority, which is to walk by sight, to try to find a leader to go back to Egypt. But what is put before us is now let's follow Jesus. Let's follow Jesus into the kingdom of God and live in a land that is full of abundance and blessing and wonderful things. Let's not forget that what he's calling us to is something good. but we have to trust him because his way is the only way. So today, will we live by faith or will we live by sight? Tomorrow, will we live by faith or will we live by sight? And every day from here on out, that is the question. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.